welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. So welcome to People With Purpose. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, David Carter, who is um, the world's leading CEO mentor uh, and uh, is focused on helping to change our uh, future generational workforce uh, through uh, through character development. So you're getting right under the skin of it, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Welcome. So uh, what does it take then to be the world's uh, leading CEO mentor? Um, well, I'm not sure if I am anymore. I was called that many years ago, <clears throat> but borrowing a line from Richard Branson, I'm not sure if I was the world's uh, leading CEO mentor, but I was certainly in the top one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take that. It's funny though, isn't it? Because, um, you know, world's leading uh, is is a, is a real uh, aspiration but once you get there is how 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 do you stay there if that's if you want to so uh, so yeah so tell us a bit about your journey um just before we move on from that last point um you know over a 15 year period i did build up what eventually became the world's leading chief executive mentoring company and we had clients and offices all around the world and um when I exited that business in 2010, I was taken on by Matthew Freud as a client who wanted to turn me into a brand, the mentor. <clears throat> and one of the first things he got me to do was to write a book, <clears throat> which I did and actually became a bestseller. Um, and I did lots of speaking tours and book tours and television and radio. And actually, um, the reason I'm always hesitant about that title, it was given to me by a number of other people. But actually, I, I don't like being famous. Um, and I loved the work I did with the BBC. And I loved um, the book tours and speaking tours because you got to talk to real people in the audience. But at the end of the day, I'm an ordinary man who puts his trousers on one leg at a time. And, and I didn't really ever want to build a persona of being a famous person. And so the world's leading anything is a, a double-edged sword. Um, and so now I'm just a humble entrepreneur <laughs> trying to build a business based on character, which is what all of my work for the last 25, 30 years has been about. Mm -hmm. And I've hired a bunch of people who love being out front and I can sort of uh, be more behind the scenes working with companies and individuals to transform their performance through character. And that to me is what the work's all about, not being famous for it. Yeah, sure, sure. And um, where, where do you think that comes from then? Because we'll, we'll, we can come back to your journey, but because that, that's quite interesting because I suppose there are some people who uh, who are naturally more inclined to being in the spotlight than others uh, is there anything about about you that means you'd perhaps rather not um well if you're familiar with myers-briggs i've done that test 
half a dozen times over the last 30, 40 years, and I always come out as an off-the-charts eye. Um, and so I think I'm just naturally very introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, and maybe who we can answer part of your question about the journey i often think that this started when i was at secondary school um and i managed to scrape my way uh via an interview into the local grammar school i'd obviously done okay in the 11 plus but it was borderline and i didn't know it until 30 years later when my son was born but I am extremely dyslexic and um, I was always called thick and stupid at school, but I knew I wasn't. And and my teachers used to say to me, why can't you write in an exam paper what you would say verbally? And I'd say, I did. <laughs> and they're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> um, and, and I knew I wasn't stupid. Um, but I was constantly being accused of it. And so in a way, I think it was more important to me to just get on with life than to prove to other people I was something that they wanted me to be. That's interesting, isn't it? Because that, that can go one of two ways, can't it? Because sometimes uh, you get the, well, I'll show you type response. Uh, and that then takes you down more of a kind of a a, a showy, shall we say, road uh, than 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 I suppose the alternative reaction, which is you know quietly getting on with it. And um, I kind of I kind of heard, uh, it all- but also my parents, um, right. they would say to me, "Never show off, keep your head below the parapet, um, um, don't stand out in the crowd," and. And so I think it was a combination of those two things that I've I've never, and even now today, I mean, I, the real joy I get in my life is helping someone else be successful, mm. um, and and that's all I need. That's all that that's what fuels me. Yeah. Um, and if they turn around and are overly effusive about, oh my gosh, I couldn't have done this without your help, and you're amazing. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> You did all the work. I just sort of helped point you in the right direction. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? It's because uh, uh, when you're coaching or mentoring somebody, uh, it's important that they are fully responsible for the outcomes that they get, whether they be good or 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 otherwise. You know, if they do the work and they get the results, then that's down to them. If they don't do the work and don't get the results, then well, you know, that's down to them, isn't it? I guess uh, it's uh, it's important to be consistent on both sides from that point of no, view. No, and you you're going to have an inner joy that you know you've helped someone do something they couldn't have done without your help, but you know, maybe being an introvert, I don't really need lots of praise and thanks for it. It's, yeah. it's inner satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. So, um did uh did the desire to help people also come from your background and your upbringing, do you think? Um, no, I I think my parents always instilled in me and my two younger sisters, be kind, be thoughtful, have good manners, um, be gentlemanly. Um, and so there was a set of values, I think, that we were encouraged to follow or disciplined to follow sometimes. <clears throat> um, and 
and actually, if you help other people and you get joy and fulfillment from that, even if it's at an early age, that becomes something that you keep doing because you keep getting a reward from it. So um, I don't really think it's any more complicated than that. Mm. I, whether I, I was quite good at rugby at school and I liked helping other people develop their rugby skills, I, I, I always liked helping other people do something that they perceived that I was good at doing. And and I think that probably just came from my parents encouraging me to be kind and generous and thoughtful towards other people. Mm. So um, when you uh, made the transition then from education into the world of work, uh, what were you what were you carrying uh, with you, and how did you uh, uh, sort of manage and overcome that? So there, there was this bit about. Uh, being dyslexic and this kind of you know stupid label and uh, these these bits of kindness and all that and when you go to work it's a bit of a different environment isn't it what what did, what did you carry with you um well actually all the way through my secondary education i wanted to join uh the intelligence corps in the army and i want i learned foreign languages i wanted to be james bond and um and i actually i had to have a major hip operation which then stopped me playing rugby at a good level which meant that i couldn't get into the army uh, because of my hip disability and so actually when i left school i hadn't got a clue what i wanted to do because something i'd planned to do for five or six years and worked very hard you know to accomplish was taken away from me and um the one thing I knew I didn't want to do was what my dad had done, which was banking, which seemed to take him away from the family most weeks of the year. And um, um, it's a funny story, but I saw an advert in the Financial Times, which I can still remember verbatim. It said, come and join the racy pacey world of high finance and important deadlines become an international officer trainee executive with the hong kong and shanghai banking corporation i thought oh gosh that that sounds right up my street that sounds very james bondish <laughs> um and my dad's bank which was an australian bank i i sometimes played uh for them in the in the bank sevens and we always used to get thrashed by hsbc and and so anyway, I remember the phone number. It was 01-234-5678. So <laughs> I, I rang the number to speak to Mr. Vic Coles. And I said, oh, Mr. Coles, I saw the advert in the FT and I'd love it's got my name written all over it. I'd love to apply. Hang on a second. He said, Margaret, when did the applications for that, you know, international officer thing close? And I heard her say, well, actually, it's tomorrow. He turned and said, oh, it's your lucky day. It closes tomorrow. So give me one good reason why I should interview you. And I said, I'll help the bank win the Hong Kong Seven. <laughs> so he said, oh, come and see me at three o'clock this afternoon. So I did. Um, anyway, so I went into banking. I was in banking for 10 years. I lived uh, east and west coast of America, Germany, Switzerland, Saudi, Dubai, Hong Kong. So I had my sort of James Bond travel jet set thing and i really wasn't that interested in banking at all and i ended up in venture capital and you know venture capital in in, in 
is all about making money, both for the investors, funds and the executives. But actually, I was always really interested in getting stuck into the companies and helping them make their business more profitable and do whatever it was. I was accused of going native. And I had an amazing boss who was a fantastic mentor who in June of or March of 88 <clears throat> called me into his office and said, well, young man, record year, record bonus, record share options, record whatever. He said, but I think it's time you moved on. You know, you're on the wrong side of the table. Stop consulting and advising and financing entrepreneurs and go and be one. Um, and because we'd done very well and had a big bonus, I had you know year and a half of after-tax salary in my bank account. So I thought, well, I can take the risk and do it now. So that was June of 88, and I've been self-employed now for 35 years and been a serial entrepreneur during that period of time. The first two businesses I did were um, golf and country clubs, and the first one built up and sold um, to the PGA. second one I built up and floated on the AIM stock market. We were the 16th company to float on AIM. I had the thrill and joy and delight of being the best performing share on AIM, and I had the ignominy and shame of being the worst performing share on AIM all within a few months of each other. Um, and I really learned lots and lots and lots, you know, rather than theoretical being a venture capitalist, I really learned what cash flow meant and sales and marketing and everything else. And I then had a massive tectonic plate shift in my personal life, and I ended up as a single parent to a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And again, found myself clueless as to what I wanted to do next. But having done 10 years in investment banking and private equity and 10 years you know, running two businesses, all these people kept turning up to me saying, oh, can you help me decide whether to float my business or expand overseas or raise money or have a new strategy or whatever it was? And, and so I did that for a a few years whilst tr trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And having Sunday lunch with my parents one day, my mum said, oh, it's going so well for you, isn't it? And I said, well, it is going well, mum, but I've got no time to think about what I want to do next. And she said, oh, I thought this was what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 15 years later, I'd built up what eventually became the world's leading CEO mentoring company. And I ended up mentoring the CEOs of... Um, PwC, uh, Anglo Platinum, a couple of you know gigantic businesses around the world. And all of the work that I did with those people was about developing their and their organization's character. Mm. And that was how I helped them become their IntelliKey, the, the ultimate version of them with all of their potential fully actualized. Mm. And I did it innately. Um, but then many years later when i left the company and was thinking about writing my book um i realized that i had actually created a framework that i'd never written down mm. um and then had to sort of figure out the framework if you like that i'd been using for many years but never patented it or written it down yeah. and again if, if you think at its simplest level, whether a company's got 200 or 2,000 or 20,000 employees, 
if people could dial up some of the 54 character qualities, whether it's being more accountable, responsible, disciplined, organized, efficient, reliable, collaborative, analytical, creative, then their performance and the performance of the organization will be so much greater. And so, again, I think the theme throughout my life has been helping people to be a better version of themselves Mm. uh, through developing their character. And so I thought now, age 64, that probably it might be a good idea as my legacy project to actually have a business that its specific aim was to do what I'd been doing somewhat uh, randomly over a long period of time, which I knew worked and had had fantastic results with clients. Um, And that's what Antelogy Academy is all about. It's about those 54 character qualities which underpin the 77 soft skills that employers desperately want their applicants and young workforce to have. And that's the framework. So I finally finally sat myself down for several, 13 days and in writing my book, if like Hmm. figured out what the framework was that we now have structured everything on. 13 days. Yes. Um, when uh, the book was released 10 years ago now, but I was like, oh, how long did it take to write? And I used to say 50 years, but it took, <laughs> it took 10 days to type. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a funny story. I actually had to go into hospital for an operation. Um, and Matthew Kelly, who has, had written at the time 19 books, uh, all of which had sold more than a million copies and his best-selling book had sold 19 million copies. Mm. He was a great friend and mentor and and he was the one in the introduction to my book who wrote about the world's leading mentor. But um, I was having a Zoom call or Skype call with him when I was on my sofa because I had to stay there for like 10, 12 days after the operation. And in his... He's Australian. He lives in America. But he said, well, mate, now's a good time to write that book I've been nagging you about. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, probably, yes, because I had cabin fever. So <laughs> I literally an hour later grabbed my laptop and thought, okay, well, maybe I'll have a go at doing this. And, and steam came out my ears nonstop for uh, 10 days or so. And on the 12th day, I remember, I rested. <laughs> and on the 13th day, I read what I typed. And I thought, actually, there is a book in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a friend of mine, Jenny in Australia, who had been an editor of personal development books, she came over for a few weeks and we polished it and tidied it up. And Matthew then sent a copy of it to his publishers and they decided to publish it. Awesome. Because 13 days sounds like a fairly good, uh, fairly good uh, timescale to write a book in. But as you say, quite a lot goes into uh, mm-hmm. all the experience goes that goes into that. Lots of active research. I mean, the thing that uh, in, interests me is if you if you've got a uh, you know a thirty year, forty year career, whatever it is, and you've you've built up all of this experience. Actually, you know how 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 he. How, how how evident is the structure uh, when you kind of uh, begin to 
write it down and roll it out or is it a case of just basically going with the flow and writing writing what it feels and then looking at it and trying to map the stru- structure to it a little bit afterwards? Oh, I, I, I could not have achieved the final outcome without the input of a very experienced editor. Mm-hmm. I, I think I have actually bashed out like 120,000 words and it got reduced down to 60,000 words. Right. And I'd written the same story four times, three different ways and, you know, and and actually it was um the the chap the title of the book is breakthrough and there are 20 chapters each of which is a breakthrough hmm. um and and that structure was there from the beginning but i mean going back to being dyslexic you know thank god for jenny because she came in and really helped tidy it up clean it up and and m- make it much more readable so i mean I, I typed the book and came up with the first draft, but you know a, a lot of the the credit really needs to go to Jenny for extracting my dyslexic uh, thought stream and turning it into a readable book. Mm. And it's uh, something that um, that is often quite challenging is uh, is 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 sort of con- conveying a message and and it's about finding a way that really works for you from the point of view of being able to to do that. Uh, so. You say uh, you found um, uh, you found yourself on the speaking circuit and uh, and and all that. Uh, how did how did that go? As a pre- somebody with a perversion pre- preference preference for introversion, uh, I have to be careful how I say that. Uh, and uh, uh, but 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 up up on a stage, uh, how how did how did that go for you? Um. When I was at school, I ended up being head boy. And I remember uh, the headmaster saying to me, um, just look at one person, you know, of the 600 boys in the, in the, in the assembly and just talk to them. Uh, and you'll quickly realise that you've forgotten about the other 599 people in the room. So I use that technique forever. Hmm. Um, and... Um, and actually, I like television because there wasn't an audience that you could see and touch and feel, um, and it was talking to a presenter. Mm. Um, but I know I think you know I'm. People who know me really well know how introverted I am. But people who don't know me well would say, "Oh, David's very gregarious, visionary, you know, pioneering, and all that." Sort of, and he must be an extrovert. Um, but I think that you know, like anything, it, you can overcome a fear of something. Um, it wasn't a fear. It just wasn't my natural default way of being. But I think probably honestly, when you finish a BBC section and the presenters, you were brilliant at that. You're such a natural at this because, you know, when I present and pitch, um, I have never once used a slide ever. Mm. You know, I've raised a lot of money over the years for charities, for businesses I've led, and I, I just, I'd never use a PowerPoint slide or anything. I always talk to people. And I think when I talk to people, I'm a storyteller, and and I know that my intention is for everyone in the audience to go home thinking, do you know, I'd never thought of that idea before, but actually I could do that, mm. and if I did it, my life would be better. And and it can be the tiniest thing, but if you if you can 
give everyone something, a nugget that they go away and do something with differently, mm. and it improves their life in some way. Um, it, it's no, it, it, to me, that's a red thread through everything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because uh, uh, my little trick uh, for uh, when I'm speaking in public, because I am naturally uh, extroverted, so you'd think I'd be all, you know, calling the gang with being on the stage and all that. Uh, but um, actually, we all we all experience nerves and all that sort of stuff before before you go on. So, so for me, it's about remembering that I'm there to serve people. So it's not about it's not about me, even though I might, you know, f- respond more positively to the. Uh, to, to the recognition and need a bit more of it than 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 others, um, it, 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 that that sort of remembering that it's about serving others is 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 the, is the thing that really settles me down. And then deep breath and away you go. Yes, because I mean, if you go to a talk and you're in the audience, you want to think, well, that was an hour of my time well spent. Either because you got a nugget of an idea that you can go off and action and implement, or that you met someone who you sat next to or in the coffee break or something who gave you value for your time. And so to me, it's, you know, my, my life credo is make yourself useful. Mm. And so I, every time I've done a talk or anything like that, I'd like to think that I'd made myself useful. Mm-hmm. So there are 54 um, character, character, Characteristics, character qualities, character qualities. Which ones uh, have you had to work on the most? Um, Which ones have I had to work on the most? Um, I think probably um, being vulnerable, um, being honest with myself as well as with others. Um, being collaborative, because as an introvert, I don't need people, don't need company. I can get and do everything myself. So I've actually had to learn to be collaborative. I think I've had to learn to be um, compassionate and empathetic uh, towards a diverse set of colleagues, customers, clients, whatever. Um I've had to work on being um, analytical in that I'm very intuitive, but you can't turn up to an investor or a board and say, I've just got this good feeling it's a good idea. (laughs) Probably that's where it started from. You've actually got to come up with some analysis and research and facts and figures to back it all up. Yeah. Um, I think I've had to work on being calm, that not everybody can work at the pace I work at or, you know, the volume or the velocity or the quantity or the quality. Um, and I think I probably had to work on being Yes, I've definitely had to work on being accountable. Mm. Um, at, you know, the buck stops with me, and therefore, I think I've I because of my dyslexia, I've really had to learn, and I'm now a, a Zen master at uh, 
uh, are being super hyper organized, super hyper efficient. Um, and now I am, but I know I wasn't when I was, you know, I, uh, my other Myers Briggs is, is a P, you know, so my natural tendency might be to have no plan, no to do list and just make it up as I go along, which mm-hmm. of course, when you've got 40 people working for you and 40 shareholders, you, you have to be a bit more disciplined and organized and efficient and reliable and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I'm probably still working on all 54 of them. If you let me carry on for half an hour, I could probably find another 30 on it we're still needed to work on. Well, I was going to say, if we, if we let you carry on, at least we'll get the full 54. We won't have to, uh, we won't have to Google that to find out what they are. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, so that you mentioned about 10 there. And um, so, so how, how, do you, how do you go about intentionally working on those things? Um, as a company, uh, every Monday morning, the beginning of the week, um, we all join a Zoom call and then we get um, sent off into breakout groups on a Zoom call. And we all talk about the character quality that we are working on that week, that month, you know, different people. And so everyone is working on something all the time. And this morning, because I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, over the next couple of weeks, finalising a £5 million fundraising, where we've raised over 90% of the target so far. And we've got a huge number of big overseas strategic partnership deals that we're working on. Um, And I want to get it all wrapped up by the end of August. You know, this morning I said, well, I need to be really purposeful. It's like I've got 10 big plates I'm juggling and I want to land all 10 of them without breaking them by the end of August. And I've got to be really purposeful over the next few weeks. And, and then everyone says, well, how are you going to do that? What are you, how are you going to be purposeful? So I answered the question. <clears throat> and so we also have a, like a learning buddy system where we account with, we all put in our Slack channel in the coaching channel, what we're working on that week. Uh, we invite colleagues to, um, give you suggestions, ideas, or feedback during the week. So, you know, we really do walk our talk in terms of personally and corporately living our values through working on our character. And and it could be, I mean, you won't be able to see them, but we have these packs of cards and we've obviously got the app as well. But very often when I'm thinking about something that's coming up in my diary or a meeting or whatever, I might look through the cards and think, hmm, right, what have I got to dial up for this meeting or this situation? Oh, I'm going to be more this or that. And just the fact you've consciously thought about um, a meeting where you know that you've got to be more open-minded. And, okay, well, I'm not going to go into the meeting and do my usual trick. I'm going to actually go in and shut up and listen and be open-minded and and demonstrate that I'm being open-minded. Um, and also, you know, we all do a 360 regularly in our company. So, you know, how I see myself might be one thing, but how everybody else experiences me might be something completely different. So, um we get rich feedback all the time from other people about things we might like to consider working on and and dialing up. And so I think being conscious about it um, and then working on it um, 
and trying it out and course correcting is the only way to actually ever learn anything. Hmm. And, you know, I've told this story many times when I was a teenager, my mum made a comment to me one day about, you know, I think you need to learn to be more gentlemanly. And I said, oh, how do you do that? She said, well, go and ask your father. He's very gentlemanly. So I went and asked my dad and, and he said, basically, well, you fake it till you make it. You know, you, you see a lady, um, going up and down the stairs at a station with a pushchair and you go and offer to help or you see an old person crossing the road and they've got shopping bags and you help them to their car, whatever, you know, you open a door for people. And, and of course, when you're 12 or 13 and everyone's, oh, what a nice young man. Again, it's nice feedback. And here I am, you know, whatever it is, 50 years later. And I, it's just, I'm on autopilot now. You know, at the weekend, I was on the Isle of Wight and going on a ferry from one place to another. And there was a young couple with a pushchair and I just immediately ran over and offered to help. And and I think that if you're conscious about anything and you keep working at it and practicing it, it eventually becomes innate. Mm -hmm. And so when you're um, talking to clients about looking to help them and their businesses with this kind of approach... Do you ever get the, um, the 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 feedback that it's it's kind of quite so so immersive? It's it's too challenging, and and does that does that put people off? Um, I think it's actually the complete opposite. Um, I think that sadly, billions and billions is wasted every single year on soft skills courses um which at the end of the course whether it's a day or a week or however long it is people are assessed on what they were taught not on what they've learned and gone away and applied mm -hmm. and so you send 20 people on a time management course they all get 100 percent in the quiz at the end of the day and then three months later you're thinking why was their time management skills not improved and it's because they haven't learned to be accountable, responsible, disciplined, organized, efficient, and reliable, which are the six character qualities that underpin good time management. But actually the six people, sorry, the six character qualities, people actually understand what they are. Oh, I need to be more reliable. How do I do that? I need to be more disciplined, organized, whatever. Okay. Well, how do I Whereas, and they know that they have perhaps told their 10, 360 assessors, who said that was something they need to work on. Okay, I've chosen to be more organized. Uh, give me tools, tips, advice, feedback, anything as I journey towards this. And, and then they go on the learning journey to become more organized. And, and then people start saying, oh, well done. I've noticed this. That is starting to show a change. And of course, they get you know a, a good feedback loop. And then eventually it's like this it's better being organized than disorganized and people seem to like it so i think i'm going to carry on doing this um and it becomes innate and then someone says well i think now you should be more open-minded or more collaborative and so you go and work on the next thing and so actually it's what you do all day every day how you behave how you show up your interpersonal connections with other people it's not some theoretical you know gobbledygook it's how do I be more collaborative? How do I be more analytical, creative, vulnerable, calm, kind? And everybody can be better at 
all of those 54 character qualities and almost get an instant dopamine hit when they are better at it and people acknowledge it and they acknowledge it to themselves. Mm. Um, and it's not abstract. It's very practical. Okay. And so, and you do it in the flow of life, in the flow of work, in the flow of studies. Mm. You know, I've got my research project to do, my dissertation to do, I've got a client project to deliver. So what are the character qualities I need to dial up to deliver that outcome by next Thursday? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's the fact that you do it all in the flow of life that it makes it not an extra thing. Yeah, yeah. That's really fascinating. And that I suppose it's, it's interesting as well, because in the times we live in now, where there are so many distractions, there's so many uh, uh you know, stimuli coming in from all different directions with sort of social media and the fact that news is so readily available and and um, notifications and all that kind of thing. Focus is a real uh, challenge for 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 people and for organisations. Does this sort of approach help with focus for companies? Um, I think if you give someone one thing to work on. And they know that quite a few people are watching them. Uh, and perhaps their line manager is going to check in with them every month. How are you getting on being more of that? Is that there's a real incentive. And it's not like you need to go off to the library and research it or write a paper on it. it or you need to be just think about it. How can I be more of this right now in this conversation in that meeting in a half an hour's time, in the follow-up conversation after the meeting. It's like, and so one of my favorite stories, we had a colleague who joined us six months ago and we encourage everyone to pick a personal and a professional character quality to work on. And um, his professional one was disciplined and he decided he was in a sales team that um when he was he'd sit down and, and dedicate 90 minutes to bashing the phone to calling people and he put his mobile phone in the other room not his, mobile, his laptop in the other room so the pings and the uh, notifications he wasn't distracted by it and he said at the end of a week he reckoned he got five hours more productive time out of just making sure that those distractions couldn't happen to him. Mm. But my favourite story from him was the person one was to be more kind. Uh, and so he thought, how can I be more kind? Oh, well, my wife tells me I should take the dog for a walk at the end of the day before bedtime, take the garbage out, do this, do that, whatever. So he just quietly got on and did it. He had only been with us a week or so, and his wife said, what drugs are they giving you? Then? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've suddenly become such a nice, kind person. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that it is something goes back to right what we talked about earlier on is that if you know that you could be better at something and it would give you a benefit, there's something got to be seriously wrong with you if you say, oh, I haven't got time for that. I can't be asked to do that. Mm. And it's like five minutes a day. Mm-hmm. It's not a week, a long experience is like 
how can I be more conscious in this conversation, in that activity, in that meeting, to be more of something that everybody's pointed out to me, my life would be better if I were more of that. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's making people more focused on impact. And so if you knew that you would get the girl or win the prize or make the sale if you were more of X, Y, or Z, but you choose not to, then you're choosing to self-sabotage. And you've got to ask yourself another series of questions, which is why on earth would you not spend five minutes a day trying to dial that up if it would be a benefit to you? Hmm. Why are you choosing to be lazy, can't be asked, can't be bothered, haven't got the time, or because there's something else more important to you. So, but I think at the end of the day, it is five, it's, it's daily small acts of evolution. It's not a revolution. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, yeah, that makes it much more accessible and uh, realistic to deliver, doesn't it? I suppose you talk about helping people change their character for the better, but also helping organisations change their character. How, how does this approach translate then into, into organisations? So say, for example, where you've got individuals or pockets in the business that, that, yeah. that don't play ball. So when we start working with a company, company to build them into a company of character, um, it starts off with Discover, which is a two-month um, process. And everyone in the entire company does a 180 on what they think their strengths and growth opportunities are in the 54 character qualities. Then they get a 360 from their colleagues, their line manager, their friends, their family, their loved ones, or whoever they want. 10 pieces of feedback then everybody says what they think the strengths and the growth opportunities of the company are today and what they'd like them to be in a year's time and if they were that what the return on investment would be so in a company with 250 plus employees there's 15.7 million data points in the discover report that they get Every individual gets a here's your report, um, how you see yourself, how other people see you, how you see the company, how you'd like to see it in the future, comparing how you see it to how everybody else sees it. And the company gets all of that data, and then we help them design the transform uh, program, which is a year, to get them from where they are to where they want to get to, to achieve the ROI. and. So first of all, everybody loves reading about themselves. <laughs> and so the individual you know, character key report tells them more about themselves and their character and how everybody else sees them than anything they've ever been shown in their life. But it also shows how dialing up character qualities individually will lead to dialing up the character of the organisation in the sense that the organisation is only... Uh, a collective energy of all of the characters of within the company. Mm. And how do you measure ROI? Um, well, we don't in the sense that if we, what we'll say to companies is, okay, well, here's where you are today. Here's where you and your employees want to get to in a year's time. If we got there, how would that improve, show up? in a measurable benefit of productivity, profitability, performance or whatever. 
And they'll say, oh, we think we could increase our sales by 10%. We think we could reduce our costs and improve our gross margin by 5%. We think we would uh, stop bleeding 50% of our new recruits every year who leave in the first year and cost us £10,000 each to replace. Okay, well, let's just stop there. If we achieve those three things, what does that look like as an improvement in your profitability or productivity? Oh, that could be worth a million pounds a year. Okay, well, if this intervention costs your company £100,000 for the year, we're going to achieve a 10 times ROI for you. Um, And throughout my mentoring career, um, right at the outset, I used to say to the potential client, so in a year's time, what's the ROI? This is an expensive thing for your company to pay for you to do. What's the ROI? And anyone said, oh, don't worry about that. I just want to do it. It's like, no, 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 no. My brand, my reputation is about the ROI. So if you can't think of one and you're not bothered about it, that doesn't do me any good. And I've carried that forward into IntelliGear. It's like people want to improve their profitability, retention of their staff, their gross margins, whatever. And if they can see that it's the development of 20 character qualities that can achieve that for them. And it does. Then our brand and our reputation, when we turn up to the next company is time to say, Oh, look, we went into company a, they were turning over 20 million, making 5 million profit. Now they're turning over 25 million and making seven and a half million profit. And look what their CEO said about our program. Hmm. Because one of the things that you can then do is with every single individual say, you know, on a microscopic basis. Okay, well, if you were more open-minded and everyone acknowledged you were and, and, and said you were and you'd shifted it into a strength, what would the benefit to you be and the company that you could quantify? And they might say, oh, well, we would cut the number of meetings we have in half. How many people on average attend a meeting? 10. What's the average pay? 50 grand did it so you can actually work out a metric says well if you just saved 40 meetings in a year you're actually saving four hundred thousand pounds in wasted cost yeah and so you can actually turn each of those behavior enhancements eventually into some kind of quantifiable uh data point that in theory should be an improvement yeah 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 and when you're looking at a cultural uh transformations it's it's quite it's quite challenging to to pinpoint those areas and then and then track them afterwards uh, so i suppose um part of that i guess sits with the organization to do and uh, and if they if they're happy with the results i guess they i guess they tell their friends exactly hmm? i mean what's the point of spending 3 years getting your employee engagement score up from 80% to 95% if you're revenues halve and your profits collapse yeah yeah it's very true very true because um i'm very uh i'm very very focused on on values as uh, and how values then flow into behaviors to um to create a culture create a team of people who are all rowing in the same direction how, how does this fit with with values and behaviors well um character qualities in action are behaviors um and so 
it, it, you can do it for free, but you can apply through our website to do a, a company character audit, which is free. And, and we actually analyze what you say your values are, and we'll help you figure out what the character qualities are that you need to have in action to deliver on your values. Mm-hmm. Character qualities underpin everything. Mm. Soft skills, hard skills, values, company aspirations, you know, they really are the foundation stone for everything. So if your thing is is values in action, then we could help you understand what the character qualities are that underpin the values mm. that you want to see in action. Yeah, interesting. Because that that was always one of my one of my mantras was you know the single most important thing that's going to lead to the success of this business is uh, a group of people with aligned values all pulling in the same direction it just flows flows off the tongue uh, but um but that's evolved a little bit for me recently um, maybe due to recent global events maybe because you know the aging process or what I don't know uh, but um but it to 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 one of thinking actually perhaps the single biggest factor is the uh, the people in the organization an individual uh, being able to manage and control their mental and emotional state do you see a connection with the work that you do and and and, and that um i apologize to those companies who do place great emphasis on values um and do the job properly but they're very few and far between mm. I remember many years ago, I was up in Aberdeen with an oil and gas company and I was mentoring the CEO and I facilitated a strategy away day. And halfway, and we were in this boardroom and it had their values plastered on six big posters around the wall. And eventually I ended up saying, I'm sorry, but I've just got to point out to you that that last half an hour of conversation is completely in contradiction to your values. Mm. And they're like, oh, David, we're really sorry. We should have explained. They're not our values anymore. And I said, oh, <laughs> is there a new set that's going up? No, we, we have two sets. One is when oil is above $35 a barrel and one <laughs> when oil is under $35 a barrel or whatever the number was. Um, and, and But they, they said it seriously. Yeah. And I think that... Um, you know, whether it's COVID, lockdowns, Russia, Ukraine, interest rates, uh, climate change, all interest rates, cost of living, uh, the war for talent and skills, mm. um, I think genuinely that character can be the differentiator between success and failure. Mm. And so um and I guess if you're um I mean I, I'm not enjoying it at all. It's actually making me really ill, but I'm sort of enjoying in a perverse way watching politics in America at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I keep thinking to myself, is this really the best that America's got to offer us? One bloke who's going to be in prison for the next year and the other one is a doddery old, you know, Alzheimer's sufferer um, who's clearly corrupt as well from top to bottom. And I love Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And he's coming in and talking about 
peace. Um, now, his father was shot by the CIA and his uncle was shot. So the courage that that man is demonstrating for something that he passionately believes in is the way for America to become a company, a country of character again and to have peace in the world. Um, I, I couldn't be more admiring of that. Mm. Um, but the system and all of the funding and the corruption that goes into the funding of politicians will probably mean if he's hopefully not shot, you know, like his uncle and his dad were, um, that he probably won't get through. But I think that um, we, the world has lived for at least the last four years in a total state of fear porn. And actually that is being dialed up, you know, all the time. And I read something over the weekend, which was showing um, the weather report um, five years ago and today or at the weekend. And the numbers were identical, 21 degrees here, 19 degrees there, whatever. But now it's all red, whereas five years ago it was all green and blue. Mm. And the fear porn that is manufactured by the system, you know, and when we're living in a country where people are like, oh, my gosh, if interest rates go up to 6.5%, I can't pay the mortgage. Um, I, I've got to choose between heating and eating. Um, I don't know if I go to university and I end up with £30,000 worth of student debt if I'm ever going to get a graduate-level salary in a career that's related to my degree subject. I don't know. You know, I've, my children are now... 36 and 32 and they're like well are we ever going to get on the property ladder are we ever going to uh are we going to have to live in a 15 minute city and da, da, da. and and so i think that the thing that will help people through is their character hmm. um i need to be more curious i need to be more open-minded i need to be more resilient I need, and so I think that, you know, artificial intelligence, people are bombarded left, right, and center. So how do you survive and thrive? Go right back to the beginning of our interview. You know, I chose, fortunately, to not give up when I was called stupid because I knew I wasn't. Mm. But I can imagine lots of people would have given up. Oh, I just put myself in the stupid box and, and go and live there. Mm. Whereas if you're subjected to fear porn nonstop from COVID vaccines to climate change to wars to interest rates and all the rest of it, you know, some people might think, oh, it's just too complicated, I'll give up. Mm. But actually, if you want to not be a victim to it and you want to be a, um, a winner, it's your character that will determine your destiny. Mm. Mm. Um, and... You know, when Aristotle coined the phrase entelechy and he was the one who coined the phrase, you know, character is destiny, what he meant by that was we all end up in life wherever we end up as a direct function of our character. Mm. 
and you know whether you end up in the local you know football team or in the county football team or playing for a tier four tier three championship or premiership team or in the england shirt or ultimately or if you're a top golfer the difference between the world's number one golfer and the world's number 100 golfer isn't golfing technique it's character mm. um and the same applies to every aspect of life and and so most people want to look after their family and their loved ones and their community and their hobbies and their interests and work is a way to pay for that mm. that's not what gets them out of bed in the morning it's you know feeding their children feeding their family looking after their loved ones and i think that their character will determine their destiny but not realizing that their character is something that isn't set in stone and that they can dial up is often a big epiphany to people. Oh, well, surely your character, you were born with it. It's like, well, no, any one of these character qualities, tell me which one of these you couldn't get any better at. Hmm. Oh, actually, I could get better at all of them. <clears throat> well, what would be the benefit? Well, choose one that you think would, would be, give you the biggest benefit quickly. Oh, my wife would love it if I did this. My boss would love it if I did that. Okay, well, why don't you just do that for a week and then call me and tell me what happens? Hmm. Hmm. And so then people realize, oh, you can improve your character. You can dial it up. Let, let it, you know. And so then when people start to think, well, actually, I don't want to be a victim to what's going on. I want to be resilient and get through it and still take care of my family and have a job I enjoy and a career I'm passionate about. Then it is character which will determine that outcome. Yeah. And so if you were advising somebody uh, who was making a start, on their working life, say, or making a, uh, or, or advising somebody who was, you know, CEO of a multi-million pound business, um, and they were looking at, okay, so what's what's the first step that I should take? Would your would your advice be different to those two people, or or would it be the same? And, and what would it be? Um, I don't know if it would be different or the same because I'd want to ask them a few questions. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would probably start it off exactly the same way. Look, here, here are the 54 character qualities. Mm. Um, choose one that you know that if you dialed it up, you would get a benefit from that mm. fairly quickly. Okay. What would that be and why would that, why would that help you and why would it be a benefit? Mm. And then get them to try it out for a week and call me a week later and tell me what happened. Right. Um, I think that, and, and also, being a little bit serious for a second, it could be that when you start off on the first rung of a, a, a you know, working for HSBC or whatever, <clears throat> uh, you need to learn to be strategic and you need to learn to be pioneering and you need, you know, but what that would look like when you're a junior in the, in, in the bank when you get to be the CEO 30, 40 years later, you still need to be strategic and pioneering. But what that will look like is very different to what it looked like. And so you might be working on the same character quality, but in completely different ways. Oh, right. Uh, it's contextual. But I think that um, 
if if I show the people the fifth one, so I want them to choose the one. So it's a pull, not push model. You should work on this. No, it's which one do you think you benefit from? Uh, I've never met anybody, literally, genuinely, who didn't say, oh, my wife would love it if I was more like this, or my children would like it, or my boss would like it, or my colleagues or my customers would Okay, so if you were, what would the outcome be? What would the benefits be? Oh, this, this, and this. Well, is that worth spending five, ten minutes a day on for a week to see if it works? Yes, definitely. Well, go off and try it and tell me how you get on. Mm. Um, and so there isn't one set of character qualities for everybody or people at a certain age or life stage. And and in the marketing team, there might be people who need to work on completely different character qualities. They might have a lot of strengths already, but they're not collaborative or they're not harmonious or they're not analytical or they're not um pioneering or whatever so you, you can't even paint the whole department um what you can say is everyone in the department needs to be these five character qualities mm. and and you david are good at four of them so please work on this fifth one mm. um and but and you would understand the reason that you needed to be good at being analytical that you perhaps weren't perceived to be too good at but i think it's it really is uh, an epiphany to people when they realize actually I could be better at any one of these 54 character qualities yeah. and there'd be a benefit to me. It doesn't take too much of my time. I can do it in the flow of my life. And this challenge of try it for a week and see if it works, I'll give that a shot because it's like seven lots of five minutes a day. Yeah. And they always phone you, email you, WhatsApp you in day five or six, oh, I can't wait to chat to you on Monday. And tell you <laughs> it's like, this has worked, this has worked, and this has worked. And and so then they realize, well, actually, if I can improve that one, I can probably carry on improving that one and get even more benefits, but I could probably improve this one and this one as well. So, yeah. Brilliant. Well, in the interest of helping you with your, uh, your, your, desire to uh, dial up the purposeful uh, I'm, I'm just keeping an eye on the time so uh, so I just yeah. wanted to, to just make sure that we'd covered a couple of questions before we conclude because sure. this is really fascinating stuff so so you mentioned purposeful as being something for you to focus on this podcast is called people with purpose so so what, what does purpose mean to you and being purposeful and and how have you pursued it in your life and career um I I think I've answered that already, David. In the, uh, my life credo is make yourself useful. Mm -hmm. um, and so my purpose in life is to make myself useful. Mm. Um, and I will think about how do I make myself useful to you in this podcast, to my colleagues, you know, in a meeting I'm just about to have, my customers, my children. And so my purpose in life is to make myself useful to other people. Brilliant. And um, just to finish off then, uh, what uh, parting words would you like to leave uh, the audience with? Uh, and once you've done that, we'll ask you to share how uh, people can get hold of you and, and, and follow your work. So, uh, so what, is there anything we haven't said that, that we really should have said in this, in this conversation? Um, I think there are I, there's two thoughts that have just quickly popped into my head that I could share. Mm. One is um, 
a question I'm regularly asked is, which are the most important character qualities? And, of course, depending on whether you're the Pope or a fire brigade officer or David Carter or whatever, everyone's going to have a different answer to that. Um, But I think that there are a few universal character qualities that everyone would have a better life if they dialed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is being more kind. One of them is being more curious. And one of them is being more purposeful. Um, And so they're three character qualities that I would invite anyone to think about having a focus on those for a little while and noticing the the benefit and the difference. And the second thought I was going to leave you with is that one of um, the things I was taught very early on in life is that failure isn't falling down. Failure is staying down. Mm. And so, you know, when you try something new and it doesn't work instantly, that doesn't mean you can't achieve it. It just means that you haven't tried it the right way or for long enough. And so don't think you go on a journey to be more of a character quality and do it for a couple of days, think, oh, it hasn't worked. I'm never going to be any good at this. You've got to keep going and keep going uh, and falling over and picking this up and having another, well, let me course correct. Let, let me try it a different way. Giving up is failure. Failure is not falling down and saying, oh, I can't do this and I haven't figured out how to do it. It's a, failure is giving up. And so if you said to yourself at the beginning of the conversation, you know, I know my wife, my husband, my boss, whoever would like me to be more X, don't give up after three or four days. Remember the benefits, remember the goal and keep going, keep going, find another way to get there, mm. course correct, mm. because you will get there eventually if you put the effort and energy into it. So don't give up easily. Brilliant. Keep going. Brilliant. David, that's awesome. Thanks ever so much. Well, I, for one, I'm definitely going to be uh, searching uh, the 54 uh, character uh, qualities uh, and picking one and working on it for the next week. I, that, that's a commitment from me. Uh, and uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let everyone know how I get on with that. But how can people uh, find out more about you, follow what you're up to and, and get, get in touch if they'd like to? Um, if anyone would like to contact me personally, um then the best way to do that is through LinkedIn. And uh, it's David C.M. Carter. I'm the only David C.M. Carter on LinkedIn, whereas about 900 David Carters. <laughs> uh, so David C.M. Carter on LinkedIn. Entelechy Academy has got a great LinkedIn uh, profile too, where there's lots of white papers and thought leadership papers all about the work we do. Hmm. Um, and but just go to www.entelechy.academy um go to our website and you can um also you can download the entelechy explorer app which is a free app uh in the app store and you can see the 54 character qualities and 54 reflective questions so you can fit familiarize yourself with the 54 character qualities but there's plenty of them uh pages where you can find those on our website and on the entelechy linkedin 
Brilliant. Good. Well, we'll put all those uh, links in the show notes so people will be able to uh, click through nice and easily and, uh, and, and get involved. Uh, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. The time has literally flown by. Uh, so uh, thanks ever so much for, uh, for your contribution and, uh, and all the best with, uh, with, with bringing the legacy to life in the way that you, you, you want it and uh, being useful to as many people as you possibly can. Thank you very much indeed for having me on to the programme. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, Tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.